Hey everyone, this is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss key trends in the industry. Today I'm speaking with Chris Marshallek, co-founder and CEO of Crypto.com. We're going to talk a bit about crypto payments, how to make them mainstream, how to scale them, whether they're still relevant, and it should be an exciting conversation, so let's dive right in. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm your host, Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiots. Uh, we've got a good one today with Chris Marshalik, who's the uh, co-founder and CEO of Crypto.com. We're going to talk about their new crypto credit card. We're going to talk a bit about payments. Do they still matter in crypto? Jury's still out on that. Um, and uh, and some of the DeFi applications that they are working on. Um, as a disclosure, uh, Crypto.com is part of our uh, registry and, and disclosures initiative. Um, but uh, we, we certainly hope that uh, that becomes the norm uh, versus the exception, as we've now got uh, 50 participating projects on. So, um, Chris, thanks for uh, thanks for joining the conversation. Um, you know, you, you kind of sit in this middle market of, of projects that are large in terms of you know dollar value and headline value um, that have certainly shipped a number of applications, but that still uh, seem to kind of fall below the radar of, of the, the, the general conversation on crypto Twitter, at least in terms of hype. Um, and maybe that's, a, maybe that's a good or a bad thing, but um, why don't we start by just talking a little bit about the project um, and, and some of the, the overarching goals of, of, of crypto.com because uh, there is, um, quite a bit going on, and, and you've got a few different moving pieces that, that have shipped even this year. Um, what, um, how did the co- uh, project come into existence, and, and kind of what, what are the most important components that people need to know about if they're just getting introduced for the first time? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me, Ryan. Uh, pleasure to be uh, talking to you today. Well, crypto.com, and our vision is very simple, cryptocurrency in every wallet. Um, and in every product that we release, uh, we try to uh, move this industry forward in terms of adoption. Uh, so we started with um, uh, a Visa card that allows you 24-7 access to your uh, money that you hold in crypto. And we've, uh, we've launched it in Singapore uh, in Q4 last year. And just last month in July, we began shipping to customers in, uh, in the U.S. Uh, besides uh, this, uh, this payments product, we've got uh, also an interest earning product, Crypto Earn, uh, allowing you to earn up to 8% uh, per annum on uh, the coin you believe in. So if you deposit in BTC, you earn interest in BTC. If you deposit ETH, you earn interest in ETH, etc. Uh, we also issue instant loans on our app. Uh, uh, which are collateralized with uh, BTC. So it's a full suite of, uh, of products and um, essentially allowing the cryptocurrency holder to uh, replace their digital banking mm-hmm. uh, completely. And uh, like you said, you know, we are not really big on uh, hyping the project up. We are steady builders. We've been uh, working on this for three years now. The company has a little over 150 people, 
and our apps have been downloaded uh, 750 times. So it's small, but you know, slowly gaining traction. Um, one, one of the first questions that I asked before we turn the camera on was about stablecoins. So um, when you think about payments, when you, th- when you, when you think about uh, interest-bearing products, uh, volatility in the underlying currencies can be um, quite dramatic. And, and so if you're thinking about mainstream usage uh, beyond just speculation, um, how have you built the product so that um, when someone is spending money or, or someone is, is borrowing or, or, or lending um, and earning interest, uh, that it's actually compelling? Because nine times out of 10, if you had uh, an account that was denominated in Bitcoin, uh, if the principal is swinging wildly in value, the interest doesn't really matter. It gets very you know, messy and, and can kind of skew some of the incentives in terms of default risk and, and things like that. And in fact, that's why some of the early crypto lending products failed, right? It wasn't until more recently um, that, uh, that, that you started to see a resurgence there. And, and it was for different reasons, because it was more about hedging and, and, and uh, kind of hedge fund uh, investors uh, managing their, their own positions. Um, where where does kind of stability of the underlying currency fit in, or, or, or how have you thought about that as a challenge for some of these applications that you have? Well, the way we build the product, it's um, it's about the, uh, giving our users options. So uh, uh, we support fiat, so you can you know deposit funds in in fiat in, in dollars, euros, pounds, you name it. Um, so bank transfers are free uh, on, our, on our platform. You can buy crypto with credit cards. Uh, our cards are multi-currency, um, and, and so you can actually store multiple currencies, fiat currencies, on the card itself. Uh, and we support uh, a number of stable coins on the platform, so users can use the platform uh, any way they, they they want. For the lending products specifically. Uh, the way we approach this is, this is built for people who believe in, uh, in cryptocurrency. So uh, our objective is for our users um, to have the access to cash if they need it without the need to actually sell the crypto, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got full spectrum of options. You can, if you uh, want to have the stability of a stable coin or a fiat, uh, or fiat, you can have it. If you want to have the upside of crypto, you can have it. The platform supports all of it, and that's one of the things that makes it tremendously useful. Um, how? What, what type of usage, uh, maybe even use cases, have you seen for a crypto credit card? Because um, I remember, I mean, even back in. 2013, it, it seems like uh, once a year someone else hypes that a credit card uh, is either coming or has been released. Um, it, you know, at first it was, I think Coinbase was rumored to do it. Zappo had a credit card. Um, you know, there, there's been like six or seven of these, I feel like every couple yeah. of years uh, from, from all uh, walks of, of life and in the industry. Um, who's using them? Uh, and 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 why are are payments still important if you're if you're using kind of the the legacy rails or at least the the, the legacy card infrastructure um, to transact crypto? It, it seems counterintuitive. Yeah. So the first thing is that um, there might have been uh, attempts to build a product like this before, but this is the first one that actually makes commercial sense for the user. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, 
the sweet spot for us is the card that offers you a 3% cashback uh, in our cryptocurrency plus a set of perks that um, are very competitive against the best best, uh, credit cards offered by banks today. So like access to lounge at the airport, perfect interbank exchange rates if you travel, uh, there's you know, face Spotify, Netflix, there's plenty of perks on this and those are beautifully designed metal cards. So it's a premium product. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you compare this to you know, your typical Coinbase card, you're probably roughly 5% uh, better off using our card on every transaction. Right, so it's just a better deal for the customer, uh, and uh, while you know we as a company also we are building a native uh, cryptocurrency payment network, uh, the crypto.com chain uh, that settles all the transactions instantly and uh, and it's got much lower cost than the Visa network and it supports all the cryptocurrencies out there, so all the good stuff is built in, but people still need a form factor that they understand. And what Visa brings to this to the table is you know, acceptance at 50 million merchant locations uh, globally. So you've got this instant utility and instant trust in the product, and you know, plus all the cool perks and that results in you know, people being really passionate about it and they really like, you know, like it. Uh, for us, in terms of uh, uh, you know, business strategy, this is a customer acquisition tool. Mm-hmm. So we want to build a large distribution network using these cards. And then uh, we've noticed a clear correlation between uh, you know, users who, uh, who actually are live with the card, they just transact and use our platform more frequently than users who don't have the card in their wallet. Um, can you talk a little bit about the usage of the CRO token versus other cryptocurrencies or other stable coins that, that could be transacted in the system? Because um, whenever you talk about a, a, a uh, an actual currency, right? So uh, uh, not just a utility token or, or something that's um, you know distributed file storage or bandwidth or, or a governance token in prediction markets, like th- those all have certain um, participation rights in, in, in the network. Um, it seems like you are hoping that the CRO token will serve as a bona fide currency, but yet you offer all these other more you know mainstream cryptocurrencies right alongside of it um, for, for usage. So, so where, um, where does CRO fit in the product? Why do people uh, benefit from using that versus just using Bitcoin um, and, um, and, and some of these other um, more liquid assets that, that have been around for quite a bit longer. Yeah, so we are basically building a new public chain that is tailored for the, uh, uh, the cryptocurrency payments network. And we don't want to restrict users to use CRO for payments. You know, you can, you can use uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and uh, you know, all the other digital assets for payment. We just need a network that allows us allows merchants to accept any crypto uh, anywhere literally for free with instant settlement and and the CRO will basically serve as a settlement currency on this uh, on this network um, you know we compare this solution to what uh, what we have with the visa network right so uh, you know you've got multi-day settlement times uh, uh, huge cost of using the network and whatnot, and even today, even with all the work we've put in, well, Visa still transacts in fiat only, right? Same as, as all the other major card schemes. So we feel there's a need to build infrastructure that uh, allows for all this to happen 
uh, seamlessly with lower costs and uh, this is the most ambitious project that, uh, that we're working on and if we are successful we bring millions of merchants onto this platform and, and eventually tens of millions of consumers it will help us get closer to this uh, uh, vision of cryptocurrency in every wallet um, we are using a very proven um, a very proven go-to-market strategy that worked very well for guys like uh, Alipay and WeChat Pay. So you basically incentivize usage both on merchant side and on the customer side, and uh, and you have to complement the uh, the incentives with really sleek sleek uh, sleek uh, user experience. It has to be extremely smooth and. Uh, we're taking the, uh, these learnings from large players uh, out of China and trying to deploy it in the cryptocurrency world. Um, doesn't, doesn't it undermine some of the use case for, for CRO in particular, though, um, just the, the fact that so little of it is currently liquid and floating right now? Um, because uh, you, you kind of have well. First of all, let, let's let's kind of break down the rollout and 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 kind of treasury of, of CRO because it was created all at once. Um, it's not necessarily all liquid. Um, this is one of the things that we're working on with your team is is just trying to bring better transparency into how this is going to hit the market. Um, but um, I, I actually didn't have a chance to check before uh, this call. But refresh my memory. I think it's it's only eight or nine percent that's currently circulating right now and the rest is, is kind of locked in, in a, a number of different programs. Yes, the circulating supply is around 8%. Yep. Um, so uh, that's a massive overhang potentially, right? Uh, and we've seen this with Stellar. We've, we've talked about this with Ripple. Um, to the extent that people are uh, are, are interested in, in acquiring CRO, they've, they've got this massive amount um, of the token supply that, that is still kind of overhanging and you know is going to hit the market over the course of X number of years. Uh, so how do you manage that uh, and and how do you think about making sure that the incentives are aligned in the in the you know in the short term but you know certainly in the medium and longer term knowing that if you are to be successful um, and if that token is, is to continue to, to kind of grow in value and that token ecosystem is to continue to grow um, you've got to do quite a bit uh, in terms of central banking wizardry uh, or, or at least setting the, the structure um, in place so that um, this doesn't become problematic. What, what, what were some of the design decisions that led you down this path to have such a large reserve? Well, first of all, uh, we begin with transparency. So we've uh, uh, laid out a clear schedule of token release over the next five years. And uh, there is a very strong belief within uh, within our team that in order to build a successful network we need a five to ten year horizon because it's just this is the, the kind of time frame that is required to bring on board uh, critical mass of merchants and critical mass of customers and uh, and it's it's not particularly uh, cost effective either if you look at the efforts of of WeChat Pay, Alipay, you know, they spent literally billions of dollars on, on incentives for both sides uh, of the platform. So uh, that's how we approach it. We, yes, you know, the coin is not particularly liquid today, but there is a clear uh, roadmap of uh, where, uh, what are we doing every month, every quarter, and every year in order to make sure that it is liquid. And in terms of uh, uh, the token economics. 
Yeah, we also published you know, consultation papers so that uh, the community can uh, work with us together on figuring this out. I mean, we've got some proposals in, in terms of council notes who will be responsible uh, for transaction processing of how uh, the staking works. And those numbers will be tweaked over time and uh, as we as we gain, gain traction. I don't think that, uh, um, that you can figure this out 200% one decade in advance. But we just keep an open mind and make sure that we are transparent in, uh, through the process and, and make sure that we are building products that people actually want to use. Mm -hmm. um, so the the kind of next key milestones, and uh, you also had um, have an interesting dynamic between MCO, um, which uh, was, so explain the relationship between CRO and MCO. Um, which was the other related uh, related token? One one was in ERC twenty. Um, Where are you in the migration right now? Uh, so uh, we open in terms of our public chain progress. We've uh, open source an early version of testnet, and mm -hmm. uh, in September we'll have full public testnet ready for everybody to play around with. Um, every single milestone that we've set, we are currently accomplishing ahead of the schedule. So mainly the schedule for next year, uh, and uh, you know there's going to be a migration from the, the ERC20 token for CRO to a to a mainnet coin. Uh, the easiest way to think about uh, the difference between MCO and CRO is if MCO is a utility token that allows you to access to services, uh, centralized custodial services within our app. The ambition for CRO and the crypto chain is to be eventually a fully decentralized network uh, with, uh, with a native coin uh, that powers this network. Uh, and, you know, uh, processing all these payments in a fully decentralized way. So building an entire ecosystem around it uh, so that it works even without crypto.com is the ultimate goal. Um, the, the, the general distribution then for CRO, which would be the main net um, uh, coin, this migration will take place. The current uh, stakeholders in the MCO network will have a, a small slice of the larger um, CRO network. Um, and then is it 60% uh, is split or 80% is split between a few different participants? Uh, the, the, there's this concept of council nodes, customer acquirer nodes. There, there's a lot going on, but um, I guess the, the important takeaway then is these are the different stakeholders um, that you see in the future chain, not necessarily crypto.com, the company, um, reserving and selling off this treasury over time, right? So, so what is... Um, what is your ongoing stake and, and how, how do you ultimately get some of those other um, stakeholders to uh, join the fray and, and ensure that you, when you do get to mainnet launch, you've got a, a, a pretty well distributed system um, that's uh, working as intended? Again, we are growing the size of our platform every single day. We, get, uh, we are uh, growing at roughly 20% a month right now as a company. So uh, we're at 750k users today. We'll probably hit 1 million users milestone in, in September. So those numbers are still very small. But if you extrapolate this type of growth rates uh, for two, three years, then you get to a decent uh, size of the platform. And with, with a decent size of the platform, it, it becomes much easier to onboard uh, uh, merchants um, and you know, get people to, uh, to use uh, our payment solution in general. 
Um, so uh, I guess, again, we start and end with, with, with the customer. Uh, how do we make this useful? How do we get people to, to use this? How do we get merchants to use this? Um, this always takes uh, uh, priority uh, over the in the details of you know how it's going to be distributed or you know, the general point of view is that if you bring in uh, millions of merchants on board and tens of millions of customers, the token economics uh, will work itself out. And again, we are very transparent about. Uh, uh, every step of the way and we always consult our community and source ideas of how we can improve it so it works best for all the stakeholders. Where, um, where, where is your team based and, and where is the project based? Yeah, most of our team is based in Hong Kong. We've got over 100 people in our Hong Kong office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a team of uh, 40-50 people in Sofia, Bulgaria, mostly dealing with uh, back office support like customer mm-hmm. service, chargeback processing, risk management, uh, kind of what you would expect from a card, uh, from a card business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a really tiny presence in the US and, and, uh, and Singapore to support our card programs. And just uh, last month, we started an office in uh, Shenzhen and Nanshan, where we're scaling our engineering teams to accelerate the development on the product side. So uh, is it is it safe to say that um, the, the lion's share of the community then um, that you're generating right now is in Asia versus the West, um, or or where what efforts if any actually, have been made in, in the West? Because this is kind of an ongoing topic that that has been coming up more and more the last few weeks. Um, I'm starting to get of the opinion that um, we as a company, even though we're just data services, we're not even necessarily touching these assets or a financial services company or or, or a token issuer. Um, uh, you know, I'm wondering if, if we should even be in the U.S. right now, uh, if we if we want if we want for this to be a, a successful you know large enterprise, because it's just so painful. Um, what um, what what are you seeing right just from if if you're uh, pretty well taken care of as a company uh, domiciled overseas and, and with most of your operations in Hong Kong. But um, certainly as you build out this distributed network and you do have the, the US card program and, and some other you know, applications that you're gonna wanna roll out here, um, how do you think about the, the other stakeholders uh, and, and, and kind of incentivizing you know, folks that are gonna secure the network and, and actually use these applications and, and, and help scale this um, and, uh, and, and at least encouraging some type of activity in, in the US and Europe in particular? Yeah, so um, we take compliance first uh, approach here. So again, we didn't bring on board large partners like Visa and you know, in every uh, region, we need banking partners throughout our product, right? We didn't bring those guys on board without treating compliance seriously. So we KYC every single user on the platform and uh, we operate in line with local regulations. So. In case of the U.S. rollout, we simply go, you know, state by state and review all our product features and how it's communicated. And you know, it's it's huge overhead. I'm I'm not gonna say it's uh, it's something simple to do because uh, it took us over two years to launch the, the U.S. program at all, right? And you've got definitely more restrictions uh, than in some of the international markets in terms of coins that you can. Placed on the platform, you know, I need to tread extremely carefully. 
and there's uh, there's a reason why uh, a number of uh, companies in this space are leaving U.S. market altogether. And the cost and the complexity is just it's just enormous. Uh, for us, it's still 25-30% of our entire user base. Mm-hmm. So we've invested so much that you know we're not gonna pull out of the U.S. We're just we're just starting there. Uh, I guess the bottom line is that. You need to be compliant if you want to scale uh, business to millions of, uh, of users, right? So that's our uh, way of doing it. I mean, we're just not taking any risks over there. We're playing by the rules and slowly building it up. Where, um, so uh, 25% in the U.S. or 25% in the West? Total. 20, 20, 25 to 30% in the US. Actually, we've got uh, probably a quarter in Europe and the rest is kind of Asia and the rest of the world. Uh, so it's a pretty well distributed uh, user base. We've got like 70, 80 countries where our app is available today. You've got payments, um, you've got these uh, interest bearing accounts. What, what's the, um, what do you see as the growth driver as, as, as something that's highly differentiated that is ultimately going to um, be the, the killer app that you promote the most heavily as you approach the mainnet launch next year? Um, because if, you, if the goal is to ultimately build a better, faster back end and, and facilitate transactions, um, then it seems like Visa. Uh, and that partnership is a bit of a stepping stone because that's that's really the bread and butter that you're trying to go after. But um, at the same time, the lending market is is exploding, right? So uh, the the number of of companies that have gone from you know zero to one hundred and in crypto lending this year, especially, um, is um, is just you know astounding the the, the rate of growth. Um, are are those kind of equal weight? Uh, you can't have one without the other. Or what, what's what's going to be the, the the one thing that you really need to get right from a product suite um, to uh, to get your foot in the door as a brand and, and make sure that this is uh, a market that you can continue to scale into and then maybe cross sell other services as as you win that first application. Yeah, we kind of look at this. Uh, we look for Amazon Prime as an inspiration. So for us, payments is the distribution. Um, uh, platform, right? So no matter our card or our payment network, uh, they will allow us to bring in millions of users into the fray. Uh, and products like lending are, are a way to monetize um, the users once they come in and we can generate robust revenues through lending to our user base. So again, the more uh, um, you land on the platform, the more revenues are generated, you can simply pump more uh, investment back into the the payments product in terms of user incentives or you know, new features, and it becomes a self-reinforcing circle. I, I still believe that payments is the killer app, uh, at, you know, in terms of growing the number of users of cryptocurrency globally. Globally, you've got what 50 million people who, for most part, just traded as a uh, new speculative asset class today, right? If you want to go to 500 million or a billion, there's no better use case than payments. Uh, it's just a basic uh, basic math, right? How many people go to buy groceries every day versus buy stocks every day? It's just mm-hmm. that, that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, one uh, one last question I have, just um, and and it's a little bit more on the uh, technical choices that you're making, I guess, in the medium term, because I, I feel like we're going to see more migrations and and more um, interoperability across these different protocols. 
um, particularly with Polkadot uh, and, uh, and, and, and that system on the horizon. Um, obviously, Ethereum was the only game in town. You started as, with, with an ERC-20 token. Yeah. The, the goal is to migrate. You're also using uh, Tendermint's uh, consensus uh, algorithm on the back end. So how do you think about um, the different interoperability solutions and, and kind of base layer um, technology stacks? Uh, are, are these um, going to be important for you going forward or are these just stepping stones, right? So you started ERC-20, um, you might use bits and pieces of, of, of these other platforms, but at the end of the day, you know, a, as you hit scale and, and as you head to your mainnet launch, um, do you just completely divorce yourselves from these other protocols um, and just focus on the crypto.com chain? What, what's what's the, the relationship going to look like going forward? See, I think that uh, once you have uh, a, a platform of millions of users, I'm very pragmatic. I, I think entrepreneurs just don't spend enough time thinking about how they're going to get distribution for the product and how they're going to get people to use it at scale. So for us, like, 80% of our effort is to grow this platform to scale. And once we are at scale, um, yeah, signing up partners is actually not that complex because everybody wants to partner with you uh, just because you've got scale. Uh, I, don't, I, I think we have a very uh, transparent and inclusive approach as a company. So we, are, we do not intend to build a walled garden that, that's... Uh, uh, is closed and uh, we will be definitely open to partnering up with people who uh, bring value to the table. You've mentioned, you know, we are using uh, bits and pieces from Tendermint, some, some stuff from Cosmos, you know, we've licensed some technology from Intel. Uh, we start and end with the customer, mm -hmm. uh, not with the technology itself. If, uh, if we can do a good job uh, for a customer, there's technology out there that helps us get it done for the customer, we're gonna bring it in and, uh, and get it done together. And we, I really am a strong believer in building networks that uh, don't have a single point of failure. And you can't really do that if you just do everything in house. And you can't do that if you're building a, a walled garden. So what you will see from us is you know more uh, uh, more open source efforts, uh, more partners, uh, bringing, uh, bringing more people on board into the ecosystem, uh, but always with customer in mind, always with customer in mind. Not for the sake of, you know, partnerships, just because, you know, let's do a partnership. Uh, well, that's that's a very Amazonian way to end, I guess. Um, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be on the lookout. So the testnet uh, target date, do you have a, a target date in mind or just going to be sometime in, in late September? September. September, no date yet, September. Great. Uh, and where can um, where can people find you? Uh, it's it's seems like it should be relatively straightforward to, to find given the name of the project. But um, <laughs> how, how how can they, how can they get involved? Uh, and and where are some of the uh, the areas of, of greatest need right now on the um, on the development side? Yeah. Look, um, uh, the easiest way to uh, begin is to just go to. Uh, Crypto.com or to Twitter, Crypto.com, uh, and follow our progress there. Uh, again, we are very open uh, as a company and always invite people who have great ideas to, to join us on this journey. It's, it's been remarkable so far, but uh, I think it's just the beginning. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks a lot, Ryan. It's a great conversation. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot. If you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.